You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Those of you who are here this morning, how many were here in the service this morning? Would you raise your hand? How many did not get to come this morning? Would you raise your hand? Okay, there's several of you who did not get to make it. We were in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. And the Apostle Paul is challenging a carnal church at Corinth. And I, 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 from this particular challenge, these 13 verses, I want to share with you some lessons we can learn to be a committed family. And number one, the first lesson is, is the lesson of commonality. He tells them in the first few verses, verses one through four, listen, everybody that got, was in Egypt, or in Egypt, when they came out, they all identified with Christ in baptism going under the Red Sea. They all were followed a, a light, a fire by night, uh, a cloud by day. They were guided by the same God. They identified with God. They were guided by the Lord. They were fed the same meat. All of it came from God, the quail, the, the, the manna. They drank the same water. All of it came from a rock that Moses hit one time, and the second time he was supposed to speak, and he hit it instead, and God gave them water. And that rock was Jesus. I want you to know that families that make it and families that don't in the First Baptist Church of Ham, Indiana, and any church, oftentimes had those things in common. They heard the same messages. They, they had a chance to go to the same marriage retreat. They, they were exposed to the same examples and leaders. They saw some of the failures of people that, that went through a different way. They saw the successes of others. But we have that commonality, and we also have Christ. If we're saved, we have Christ. And that's something. When you have Christ, your marriage, your family can be a success. If you, don't, if you try to have it without Him, we're in trouble. But we have that common, common uh, thing together. The second lesson I want to share with you is the lesson of contrast. Look at verse number 5, would you please? It's the first one that Brother Mock read for us tonight. You look at verse 5. Read it with me, would you please? But with many of them, God was not... He said, of all the people that came out of Egypt and went to the Red Sea and were led by God and fed by God and protected by God, some of them God was pleased with. Others of them, He was not well pleased. And I want you to just decide, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua was a slave for the first 40 years of his life. He followed Moses for those next 40 years. And then for 30 years, he led God's people. And he was one of the fellows that God was pleased with. Some of the others, he was not well pleased. He said, some of the folks that, that, that they had the same chances, the same common um, influences that everyone else had, some of them I was pleased with, some of them I was not very pleased with. And we see this the same is true in Christian families today. If you want a committed Christian family, you're going to need to have committed Christians. We need a committed husband, a committed father. A committed mother and a committed wife and, and a committed child, child and, and a brother, sister, whatever your role is. If you're going to have a strong family, you need to be a strong Christian. And we need to quit making excuses. We have Christ. So I wasn't raised in a Christian home. You can stop the cycle. <laughs> you can have a Christian home. You can have whatever, whatever kind of home that Christ can give you. And the Bible tells us I can do all things through which, He's there with you. He'll help you. He'll strengthen you. 
So, well, I wasn't raised like that, but you can start a new cycle with Christ. So we have that in common. We also have the contrast. Some people please the Lord, some people don't. And we need to please him. But then he tells them, he says, I, I want to teach you the lesson of caution. He lists four different sins that the children of Israel did in their period of time from Exodus 32 until Numbers 25. And he goes and he says, here are four things that really bothered God. It got him very frustrated. One was idolatry. One was immorality. One was whining. And the other one was rebellion against him and his authorities. Those things really fired up God. To the place that God, he was ready, his wrath was ready to just to wipe them out and just say, I'll start all over again with you, Moses. I'll take a few to please me and I will just start this thing all over again. I am tired of it. And each time somebody stepped up and someone was an intercessor. It was Moses, Phineas, uh, God put the, uh, the serpent in the wilderness. But let's just talk about this. Number one was that of caution of idolatry. Now, I don't think in our day and age is talking so much about the, uh, the worship of an idol. I have friends I'm witnessing to right now. And uh, they will go home this evening and they will kneel down in front of idols and they will worship. They will go through beads in their hand that, that have been carved out and they will say prayers to multiple gods. But that's not our problem. I don't think anybody, very few people in here would probably do that during the service tonight. Most of us, we know that the true God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. We know him from the Bible. And God's people knew God. They knew the God that has been revealed to them. But he said, you do have some idolatrous practice. Notice what he says real quickly. Let's go to verse number, verse number 6. He said, now these things were our examples. He said, you've got some examples to look at. And he's going to refer back to the children of Israel. Because in the church of Corinth, no doubt, were some Jewish believers and some Gentile believers, all of which can see the examples that God gives us in the Old Testament. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Look at verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them, not all of them, but some of them, as it is written in the Exodus chapter 32, verse number 6, is a direct quote. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. When he talks about idolatry here, he talks about eating, drinking, and playing. We, uh, we have several things that hurt our family in our society. Number one is liberalism in churches. Many churches have just, uh, they've got the same sign up. I use this illustration today in our, in our new members orientation, but I like Dunkin' Donuts. But every Dunkin' Donut that has a sign out front is not necessarily, all Dunkin' Donuts are not the same. Some places you can go and you can say, you know what? You can say, I want eight creams and three sugars, and they will have eight creams and three sugars, and it will be stirred and handed to you. And you can drive down the road a mile and still know that you got the right one. But I've been to some Dunkin' Donuts, I say, they'll say, oh, what can we do to help you? I said, I want a large coffee with eight creams and three sugars. Okay, dude, come on around, we'll be there in just a minute. And then you get around there and they say, hey, what did you say again, how many? And I said, hey, eight creams, three sugars. Okay, yeah, just a minute, man, no, no problem, dude, be right back. That'll be $2.66. Okay, thank you very much, thank you very much. 
Is this his? I don't know. I think it's his. Here, I think you'll enjoy this one right here. Now, it has the same sign out in front, but I have gone two blocks away from that fellow and realized they gave me eight sugars and three creams. I feel like, you know, my sugar levels, woo, go up. I think I'm drinking syrup. I'm saying, here I just paid $2.66 at a Dunkin' Donut, but they have long lost what the, the protocols. You know, some churches, they have church on it. They might even have Baptist church, but you couldn't get saved there if your life depended upon it. You couldn't find truth with a flashlight. They, they, they have lost it. Somewhere along the line, they've lost the truth. They've lost the protection of the truth and the propagation of the truth. But I, I think one of our problems today is liberal churches. And we'll say, well, Bible colleges, they're not growing like they should. You know why? Because churches aren't growing like they should. Bible colleges are not like this. Well, it's oftentimes because, you know, where, where Bible colleges get students from churches. <laughs> if churches are not reproducing themselves, certainly that's going to be the byproduct of that. Less labors in Jesus said himself. The problem is not with the harvest. The problem is with the labors. There are young people in this room that you ought to have a lifetime. You ought to give yourself under reckless abandonment to the will of God. But you have an idolatrous thought. You're thinking about rising up to play. You're thinking about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to have instead of what God wants for your life. I don't think everybody needs to go into full-time Christian service, but I think every single young person and single adult and married adult ought to struggle with the possibility that God wants you to do it. Some of us were on the verge of retirement. We ought to quit thinking about retirement and think about how can we return. It may be a mission field. You might not do what Randy and Carmen Shook was and go spend seven years on the mission field in retirement years and bring in hundreds and thousands of people to a church in, in your retirement years. You might want to do what the Guterres did down in, down in um, Central America or go someplace and say, God, where in the world could we go? That we could be a blessing to a missionary. We could be a blessing to a work or a body of believers. What is it you want me to do with my life? Just sit around and watch the world go by? Sit around in a under a bam bam tree drinking tea and thinking about how wonderful it is to be me? No, I think we got to see what does God want? What's he trying to accomplish? What's he want with my life? I can tell you when God's done using you, when your heart stops beating. But we had a problem, and the problem is liberalism in churches. Another problem is humanism in education. The humanism and humanitarian are two, humanitarianism is two different things. Humanism is the worship of self, the worship of will, what you want. Whatever feels good, you do it. And our educational processes are full of it. We've got some of it going on in City Baptist, and some of it going on at Hiles Anderson. We've got some of it going over at Hammond Baptist. It's something we have to continually watch and, and, and monitor. Because it can be all about us. Let me tell you something. God's will is that everything be about Him. What does He want us to do? Where does He want us to do? And we find it in Hammond High. We find it in Morton. We find it in Highland High School. We find it in Purdue Northwest. You find it in, in IU and every place else. Huge amount of, of humanism. We can't even, we, we, don't, we don't know what's going on. Just the confusion of, of society because of a lot of humanism. It's just whatever you feels good to you, you do it. And then, of course, we have all kinds of other problems in the church. We have a problem in society of, of uh, hedonism. It just, we're just pleasure-oriented. 
We're always thinking about the next thing we're going to have, the next thing we're going to do, the next thing that will be fun for us. And I am not against a vacation. I believe in them. I believe in taking time to come apart, and you will come apart. I think it's important that we take time, but I think we've got to realize that life's not just about a party. He said, if you're going to follow Christ, take up your cross. And a cross is not just a pretty thing you wear around your neck, girls. I hope the guys aren't wearing it. But I don't think it's just a pretty thing. You, it's not, it, it's an it's, it's a instrument of, of torture. It's a heaviness. It's something God wants us to do in this lifetime. We have all eternity to enjoy God. We need to say, you know, Lord, what do you want from me? For some of you, it might be a martyr's death. Some of you, you're kamikaze. God's given you a fervor and an interest in going to the hard places and doing the hard things. And it's, it's part of your DNA and it's part of what the Spirit of God's put inside of you. But for all of us, we should wear a cross. We should be willing to do the hard thing. We should be aggressive about our giving. We should be prayerful. And time, our time, our talents, our, our, our treasure, all of it should be marked by, hey, listen, we're, we're pushing the envelope here. We're not just doing things to make it to please ourselves, but to please the one who called us. The Bible tells us in the book of um, 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, <laughs> chapter 2, and, and uh, Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, he said, listen, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man who warreth gets all tangled up with the affairs of this life but to please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. Amen. Parents, teenagers, don't fall into the, the pit of idolatry, the worship of self. Some of you just think life is all about a, a Starbucks and an iPhone, a few dollars on, a, on, your, on your account, a nicer car, a this house, this condo, this situation. Want to have another one someplace else. And it's just, we're just getting all this stuff. And, and the Bible tells us, Jesus said, a man's life does not consist of the things which he possesses. But we think we got to get stuff. We got to keep getting more stuff and keep getting more stuff. And then I had this and I'm secure. You know what God wired you to be? To be secure in him. All of us have something inside of us that we need very bad, and that is significance and security. You want to be secure? I want to be secure. You want to be significant? I want to matter to someone? I want to know I'm safe. God gave every one of us that desire. And some of us, we chase that in a relationship. If I just had someone that could love me, then I could be significant and secure. If I just had this job, if I just had this much money, my 401k, if I just knew that I had enough money to retire on, then I would be secure. And we're looking way too low. We go into the road of, of just, it's just eat what I can eat, what I can drink, and what I can do to have more fun and enjoy things. And God, he says, look, don't, don't fall into that. It's a caution. You know, the second sin you don't want to fall into, and the second sin that will complicate a family is the sin of immorality. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Not only the sin of idolatry and the desire for pleasure, but look if you would please at uh, verse number 8. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day twenty and um, uh, three and 20,000. For future study, you can look at Numbers chapter 25. For sake of time, I won't take you there. But here, 
God's people, Israelites, were intermarrying with in, with with uh, those who are Moabites and, and Midianites, and they were intermarrying with one another for sexual pleasure primarily. And they got caught up in, in fornication. And God got real serious about it. And uh, you can read the story in Numbers chapter 25, one of the high priests or one of the priests, the sons of, of Aaron, and, and uh, Phineas was his name, Levi, and He's, he was of that tribe, and he did some things very valiantly that we would think a little weird, challenging, but he got real serious about the sin of fornication. The Bible says, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but the sin of fornication is a sin against your body. If you can think for a few moments, listen, friend, we live in a day that is just filled with filth. These music videos, YouTube, a lot of that is just pornography set to music. We got young people all over this room. You watch it. You know it. And it's not just a song. It's perversion. It's wickedness. It's things that we're not even supposed to even think of those things or speak of those things, which are done of them in secret. The Bible says that, that marriage is the honorable thing. And the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I don't know why in the world a Christian would watch a sex scene on television. But 90% of the sex scenes in television movie are done with people who are not married. The world has got it where marital intimacy is boring. You can only have a good time if it's not really your spouse. Fornication is glamorized. Marital, marital intimacy is all of a sudden it's just boring and that's not important. That's, not, that's, that's terrible. This over here is exciting and fun and glamorized. We get caught up in it. And God's people got caught up in it. And God got serious with it. He says, listen, you talk about something you need to be cautioned about. Get cautioned about just the play mentality of, of idolatry. Get cautioned about immorality. Jokes, innuendos. Things you would watch. If you're watching a YouTube and every, every, every the word is bleep, 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 turn it off. Well, there were some funny parts. Turn it off. Why are you going to listen to someone curse the name of God? Why are you going to watch some kind of thing that someone's not dressed properly or immorality is, is just is, is highlighted? Knock it off. Get as serious as Phoenix did. He, he drove a spear through the center of two immoral people. He jabbed a spear right, right, right through the man and right through the lady. Say, Pastor, that is weird. That's over the top. I think God tells us that to say he's pretty serious about it. And he applauded the guy. He said, good job. Finally, somebody's getting serious about immorality. And the devil's dirty secret, he gets us to laugh about it. Then we start accepting it. It's sad when Christians are watching the same things the unworld, unsaved world does. We can find a pleasure in those things that should never even be brought to our mind's eye or to our ear or to our eye gate. Someone wants to tell you about movies they watch. I don't know how many movies you can watch. And when people tell me they watch a lot of movies, I'm wondering, how many can you watch and, and not get caught up in the, in the immoral culture of the day? Alcohol flows like a river. I dare you to find a movie and see what people drink. How often do they drink Coke in a movie? How often do they drink orange juice? 
apple juice, water. I would say probably 90 times out of 100, you see any kind of liquid being ingested in a movie or a, or a film or a sitcom, it's alcohol. It's wine, it's beer, it's all of that. And we become accustomed to it. No wonder Christians want to fight about it. What's wrong with that? We've been playing the same stupid game. It's, it's got a hold of us. We're talking about a caution here that God gives his people. He said, listen, don't. You have examples of people who got caught up in eating and drinking and playing. You got examples of people who got into fornication. God dealt with them. Don't do that. It, it aggravated God. It brought judgment on their society, on my people. Don't be there. Get in the group that pleases me, not the group that he's not well pleased with. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. I'm going to ask you if you would please take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 21. Would you turn there? Numbers chapter 21. Let's get those pages moving. Can you help me real quickly? Foot fire, move, act, finger fire. How about that? Numbers chapter 21. In verse number four, just to look at that real quick, the Bible says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor um, by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much what? Why were they discouraged? What's the next four words? It was hard. They hit a rough patch. They're going from this place to this place, and their hearts were discouraged because of the journey, because of the hardness of the way. And as a result of that, look if you would please at verse number five. And the people spake against who? God. When, when you have a bad day, who do you speak against? Do you get mad with God? Some of you do. I've been there. I've, I've had that same challenge. I was talking to someone today about that, and... They're upset with God. They built a case against God because they had a hard thing. Something they had got taken from them. And it's like, I can't believe God would do that to me. And they built a case against the Lord. I've done it in my own mind. Weakness. But here said they said they built a case against God. Who else to build a case against? Look at you please, verse number five. And against who else? God's representation. Moses. Wherefore... Have ye brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? And for this no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. We're so sick of manna. When are we going to get something that's got some, got some spice to it? And then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel did what? Died. And of course, God put a brazen altar that's mentioned here also in John chapter 3. But here's, here's another thing that really frustrated the Lord, is that when, when his people went through a hard time and they started whining and weary and complaining. You know, one thing that's going to happen to you if you keep breathing, you're going to have a hard day. You're going to have a hard season. You're going to have a difficulty that's going to come to you. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. I don't care if you're strong. You've been saved for 25 years or been saved for 25 minutes. You're going to have a difficult time coming in your future. And what you feel about God and your understanding, if you're not careful, if you just kind of bebop and get casual through this, this situation, I think what happens, we oftentimes get squirrely in our mind and we get accusations against God and whoever represents Him. 
I've been to try to help people and comfort them through difficult times, and they just close the door, Pastor, I'm sorry. I'm sure what you're going to say is good. I just don't want to hear it. Boom. They're my friends. I've texted them and called them. Listen, let's get together. I know you're going through a difficult time. No thanks. They've gotten angry with God, getting angry with me. Because they went through a, a rough spell. Sometimes it happens when your kid gets in trouble or they embarrass you. And you feel like everybody's thinking you're a bad parent. Let me just tell you, that little situation is not about you and your kid. It's about what God can do. By the way, all of us, we, we don't want to kick someone when they're down. Someone's gone through a good time. The Bible says, let him to think he stands, take heed lest he fall. If you think you're all that in a bag of chips, you better watch out, friend. Your problem's coming. I think some of the people who've been the hardest against people who go, against difficult, go through difficult times, if you just hold the phone a few minutes, they go through a difficult time and it gets really bad. I don't want to get hard on people. I don't say, well, I knew that was going to happen. Don't say stupid stuff like that. You help them. You weep with those that weep. You rejoice with those that rejoice. And don't think that you're better than them because that time could come for you. And it gets really difficult going through that. But he says, you know what frustrated God here? The people... They were, they were started complaining because it was hard. <clears throat> the trip was hard. They were having a hard time. And they started blaming God, his representatives. And God said, look, how about some snakes? You think it's hard? Let's, let's try these. Try to, try to avoid these little fiery serpents coming around here. And they said, okay, God, I'm, we're sorry. What can we do? He said, all right. Set up a, snake, set up a serpent in the, in the um, sky. And if someone really wants to get out of that, and they really believe in me, they'll just look and live. And of course, it was, it was a foreshadow of what Jesus would do. When we're snake-bitten with sin, how can we get out of that? We can look to Jesus. By the way, you can still do that today. When you're going through a rough spatch, don't go around and start complaining against God. Run to Jesus. Love Him. Trust Him. Verbalize that. I love what Paul says. He quotes Psalm 116. I believe, therefore have I spoken. I believe God, and I'm telling God I believe Him. I like to do this from time to time. I want you to do it with me real quickly. Those of you at home, I hope you'll do it with me as well. Just say this, Lord, I trust you. Are you ready? Lord, say it again with me, would you please? Lord, I trust you. When you go through a rough patch, and you're weary in the way, you thought you were doing good, and now you've got, you're not so good. You thought you got a, you got a good deal in a car, and now it's in the shop. You thought all the kids were doing good, and now you find out one of them's struggling. Once you get on your knees and say, Lord, I trust you. What I need here is I need wisdom to know what to do, and I need strength to persevere through it. Quit thinking about what everybody else thinks about you and, and be concerned about what God thinks about you. I love that little statement. I don't know if it's completely true always, but I like it. Is I have nothing to prove, and I have one person to please, and that's the Lord. And I don't want to get against him. I don't want to rail against him. I love this about Job. And all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He wasn't an idiot. It's an idiot, foolish thing to get a case against God. He's the one who loves you. I was talking to folks the other day, and I want to remind you, listen, one day you're going to pick out a casket for someone you love. It just happens. What are you going to do when that happens? What are you, how are you going to handle that? I am amazed that people get so angry. I don't know why God took him. He was 88. That happens. 
He loved the Lord. He was faithful to God. It's okay. God said, hello. You say, I'll see you later. Don't build a case against God in that moment. Think you're such a victim of, of huge problems. One of the things I had to learn, and Linda and I worked on it, whenever our son passed away, we had to realize, you know, we had 17 years. Some people don't have 17 minutes. We got to see so many blessings. We got to see so many blessings and, and to spend a lot of time complaining and building a case against God is ridiculous. When it gets hard in the way, don't murmur. Don't complain. Trust. The next thing he says, and if you look at that real quickly, and I need to hasten, but verse number 10, neither murmuring ye as some of them murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Here's when they exercised rebellion against God and God dealt with them. You can look at that in Numbers chapter 14, verse number 2, another time. I want you to notice, you would please, verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, for examples, and are written for our admonition, whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. I want you to notice the lesson number one of commonality. The lesson number two of contrast, those that please God, those that don't please God. The lesson of, of a caution, saying don't get caught up in immorality. Don't get caught up in, 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 in idolatry. Don't get caught up in whining and complaining or rebelling against God and His ordained authorities. Don't do it. He cautions us against that. Then I see also another lesson that he gives us, and it's the lesson of consideration. He said, consider the examples that God lays before us. And then consider our own weakness. Do you think about this? If you want to, I'm going to say something. If you, think I should, if you think you should say it, say it. I'm weak, and I'll always be weak. Could you say that with me if you mean it? I am, and I'll. God is strong, and he'll always be strong. I'm weak, and I'll always be God is strong and he'll always be. And that means I'm going to always need him. I'm going to always need him. He said, let him think if he stand and take heed lest he fall. There's nothing quite as anyone as vulnerable as a cocky Christian who thinks that they, you know, I've already been there, done that. I'll never forget hearing my friend tell one day to my other friend, I've got to a place now where I can watch our movies and they don't really affect me. Because he kept asking, have you seen this movie? Have you seen this movie? Have you seen this movie? I said, I said, and my friend said, hey, you haven't watched all those, have you? Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it doesn't affect me anymore. I've kind of really got to the place where it doesn't really bother me anymore. I can, I, can, I can sift out the good and the bad. Let me just tell you something. You cannot help but speak of the things that you've seen and heard. Garbage in, garbage out. And it wasn't six months later that my friend had to confess to his church and to his wife that he had not been faithful to his marriage vows. And I'm just telling you, friend, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't live a holy life on a diet of questionable viewing, questionable listening. The devil, will he'll be patient with you. He's a very patient foe. He'll let you strap those bombs on you and just wait and detonate you later when it causes more fatalities to other people around you. Secret sins don't say secret. The world's greatest detective. Sin is the world's greatest detective. It always gets its man. It doesn't care if it's a rebellious thing or if it's an immoral thing. 
And by the way, if you're, if you're at odds with God, you're at odds with your, your authorities, you're at odds in music or things, you ought to quickly do two things. Admit it and quit it. Confess it and forsake it. I think here's a lesson of consideration, but I, I love this and I'll close. I have not done a good job in this message, but let me just say the last thing that blesses my heart. It's the lesson of confidence. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. Everybody's got it. Every trial that you've ever went through, you're not the first one. It might be your first rodeo, but it's not, the, it's not, the, not everyone else's first rodeo. Someone else has been through this. Well, you just don't know how I feel. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but someone knows how you feel. And we have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was at all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us. But the truth of the matter is, he said, there's not a thing that you're going through that someone else has not went through, and they went through it with a lot less help than you're going through it. He said, but this is what you need to learn in the middle of all this. God is faithful. He is worthy of your confidence. And that's where we need to come back and say, Lord, I trust you. You're faithful. You'll not let me be tempted above that I'm able, but you will with every temptation make a way of escape that I can be able to bear it. Whether that is a sin, a temptation to idolatry, to fornication, to whining, complaining, or rebellion, whatever it might be, or, and I think in context that's what it's talking about, or if it's a problem that you're going through. Anything you're going through, I'm going through, God's faithful enough to walk me through it without being tarnished by sin. What we need is a revival of committed families. If that's going to happen, I need to draw a circle around myself and ask God to send a revival to that circle. Because we have the same common problems. We have a caution from the Lord. We have a consideration that we have examples of people that have fallen away and made mistakes. We don't have to do the same thing. We have to be careful and evaluate ourselves and to know that we're weak and will always be. He's strong and he'll always be strong. And we can have confidence in him. We can say to him, Lord, I trust you. And by the way, when you're going through a problem, count it all joy, pray for wisdom, and keep on going.